This is Paul Valencourt, the author of The Triangle of the Scene, and you're listening to Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Jimmy, Jimmy Corain, Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we are sponsored by the Idaho Laugh Fest. Now, the cure for your holiday hangover will be at the third annual Idaho Laugh Fest, held January 7th through the 9th, 2016. The Idaho Laugh Fest is already one of the biggest festivals in the Northwest and features over 70 comics in improv, stand-up, workshops, and more. Submissions are open right now through August 31st. It's just $25 to submit your troupe for a performance slot. Or, if you got a cool workshop, it's just $15 to submit your program. So check out the details at IdahoLaughFest.com. That's IdahoLaughFest.com. Also, I'll be offering my award-winning improv class, The Art of Slow Comedy Level 1, here in Chicago, where we focus on before you can be funny, you need to be real. And guess what? You're going to be even funnier. I limit this class size to only 12 people so you get personal attention. To register, all you need to do is go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. And don't forget to check out my ebook, Improv Therapy, which will help you get out of your own way to become an even better improviser. The things improvisers are afraid to talk about, like how to deal with jealousy, judgment that you have on stage of your partner's ideas or your own ideas, fear on stage and off stage and how to deal with it, shame, that dreaded feeling we feel after we do a bad show. This book is a quick read. It's only $3.99, and you can get it as an ebook or a PDF off my website at jimmycorain.com. It's also available on amazon.com. And while in Chicago, stay in the official hotel of Improv Nerd, Hotel Lincoln. It's not only pet friendly, it's also improviser friendly as well. Mention Improv Nerd when you're registering online, just put in the code Improv Nerd, or when you're calling uh, on the phone for a reservation and get 18% off your stay. That's Hotel Lincoln, the official hotel of Improv Nerd. We've got another great show for you today, but you know what? When do I not come through for you? Think about it. Think about when the last time there was a, a bad episode in your mind, but don't let me know about it because, as you know, I don't think I can take it. Uh, this is a special episode. Uh, Paul Valencourt is somebody I've known for a long time. He is a very well-respected improviser and teacher at the I.O. West in Los Angeles, where he also co-founded it. He also was performed with the family and a group here in Chicago called The Tribe and Bitter Noah. And currently he performs with the legendary Beer Shark Mice. Paul has written a book called The Triangle of the Scene, which I found to be a really great and helpful book uh, for any improviser. And Paul was coming in town uh, to perform with Beer Shark Mice at I.O. Chicago. So I really like the book, and Paul has taken all his years of improv and boiled it down to this wonderful method. And I love people that come up with their own method in improvisation. And not only does he create his own method, he is so passionate about improv, and it will come out in this interview. We talk about a specific method in his book and how he approaches a scene. We also talked about how he decided to move to Chicago and study at at the I.O. Chicago, at the Improv Olympic at the time, and uh, the opportunity that he got to play with the super powerhouse group, The Family, which consisted of Matt Besser, Adam McKay, Ali Faranakian, Miles Stroth, Neil Flynn, and I think possibly uh, Pete Holney was in that group uh, for a time. 
we also talked to him about uh, getting to play with Beer Shark Mice, and uh, Beer Shark Mice is another powerhouse, and he describes them as all alpha males. And that supergroup consists of David Koechner, Pat Finn, Pete Holney, Michael Coleman, Neil Flint, and of course, Paul Valancourt. But before we get to the interview, I think people have the misconception that improvisers are really fun people uh, away from uh, the stage, uh, that they can be really silly and they're, they're very playful and they know how to play. Um, that's not my experience about myself. Uh, I am somebody who really struggles with having fun and being silly and playing. And this weekend, it was really clear to me that I, 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 am, I don't know how to have fun. So my wife said, and it was a beautiful Sunday day here in Chicago, in the suburbs of Chicago, Evanston, sunny, about in the 70s. She's like, hey, you want to go for a walk? And I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, because like my, my definition of fun is like anything that I can do horizontal. So if, you know, I'm, I'm laying on the couch uh, reading or I'm laying in, uh, on the beach reading or if I'm in an MRI machine reading, anything that I, I can do laying down is my definition of fun. So she said, uh, why don't we go walk to the beach and play Frisbee? And I'm like, oh, fuck, Frisbee? And we don't even have a real Frisbee. We have a promotional Frisbee that we got free at a bank with its logo on. So it doesn't, it doesn't throw well. You know, it doesn't fly right. So we get to the beach and we start throwing the Frisbee. And I know, like, people, like, when they're enjoying themselves, they have, like, a, a, a total loss of time. For me, it's like anything that's a pleasurable activity, be it going out to dinner, going to a movie, having sex with my wife, I'm always looking at the clock, and I can always wait till it's over. And Frisbee was no exception. And so we did it for about 10 minutes, and I was so grateful that it was over, and I'm thinking to myself, I really need to work on having more fun, because I'm going to tell you this right now, I don't. at 51 years old, I do not have a clue how to do it. Here it is. I know you're going to love this interview. It is so informative, and Paul's got such a great approach to improv. The Paul Valancourt episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Grew up in Maryland. In high school you were in the drama club. You described yourself as being pretty shy and a nerd. Yes. What kind of nerd were you? I was a comic book reading, D&D playing nerd. Uh, and you're a very serious kid, you said. Yeah, I think it's a pretty... I think I've always been sort of serious. I think I have maybe like an old soul or whatever. I was always... Whenever my friends were getting like, hey, let's do this crazy thing, I was like, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's think it out. Let's think it out. And uh, yeah, so not surprising I ended up being like the treasurer, then the president of my drama club, then an RA at college, and then an orientation advisor, and I taught for Princeton Review, like all very like responsible sort of things. And the fact that I'm in the entertainment business is a vast departure from everything else about me, basically. Well, because you're not the typical personality. You're not like Mr. Oh, I'm doing bits all the time. No, no. I think with, with, my, with my friends, with a certain group of people, yes, but I don't, uh, in, a, in a party, I, First of all, I'm not really crazy about parties. But second of all, like at a party, I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. See, sure. this is what I always loved about you. There's a very disciplined part of you. Oh, yeah. And where does that come from? Uh, I don't really know exactly. My, uh, I don't know. Because my parents were very, not undisciplined, but I would be like, ah, oh, I, got, I got a B. And they're like, hey, that's okay. And I'd be like, I could get, get an A. It's, like, it's in my genes somewhere. So you're kind of an overachiever? 
Yeah, well, I set my sights on something, and, I, and I'm pretty good about being disciplined to, get, to, to go after it. Um, and then you go to the University of Maryland. Yeah. And you see your first improv show, and yeah. then you have this, like, an epiphany. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about that show and what sure. the epiphany my friend, was? My friend Thomas, uh, who I met at the, not surprisingly, the Honors Learning Community <laughs> at University of Maryland. You only hung around honors people, I, right? I had joined, when I registered, I joined this thing. There's an opportunity to join what's called the Honors Learning Community, which is, like, you and, like, 15 people would take classes together, and we had, like, a, a teacher advisor, and we would sort of relate all the different classes together and sort of do extra sort of like, you know, whatever, nerdy stuff. And so, but I met this guy, Thomas, who was totally like one of my best friends all through college. And, uh, and he was like, Oh, I'm going to do this improv show. Do you want to come and see? And, and I did had, first of all, had no idea what that meant. And second of all, um, I, you know, in college, you pretty much whatever someone's like, Hey, you want to go do it? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Whatever. So I went to see it and they, in this show, they did a bunch of short form stuff and then they did a Herald was part of the show. And then in this Herald, this one guy was trying to find out who made Muzak. So the whole time he's like questing, 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 trying to find out who made Muzak. And then towards the end of the show, um, he's like, I'm going in there. And these two other guys come out to be guards. And they're like, no, you're not. He's like, yes, I am. He pushes past these guys and these other people sort of assemble into a, um, into a, like a boardroom. And he's like, you? You guys make music? Paul McCartney and, and Paul Simon and, and John Lennon? And all of a sudden, the guy who was Paul McCartney says, Right, mate, we usually make the music first, then jazz it up for everyone else. And I was like, That just blew my mind. For some reason, the whole thing just blew my mind. And I literally said out loud to myself, That's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And pretty much, pretty much has been a straight line from that moment to this moment. So and then in college, you start to do like short form stuff yeah. in a club and stuff like that. Yeah. And you guys did some pretty, you had some pretty bad experiences in shows. Oh yeah. It was up and down. It was college. So we, I mean, our, we were, you know, the crazy part was that the guys who started the group, like maybe two generations before me, the guys who started the group had been trained by Purple Cran from Yale, who was trained by Sharna for the for the improv competition, the Southern Comfort Improv Competition. So it was sort of like, I was already kind of related to that. So we had Harold in our DNA of Erasable Link was our, our, our name. And we had Harold in our DNA, but we were doing more short form. But, but I sort of remembered my first thing. And when I became the director eventually, I, I really pushed us back toward, more towards doing some, some long form. Groping, blind, in the dark for what that meant. But... Um, but I sort of, I, I wanted to get back to that thing that I And seen. I read something too, uh, this surprised me, is like, you did some shows in college and you guys got booed? Oh yeah, oh sure. We did a show for the, for the Greek, uh, at University of Maryland, the Greek um, system is very big. And one of the guys who ran, who ran this thing was like, oh, gosh, I don't even remember the name of it, but it was like a, in, in this, we have this coliseum on campus that used to be like the sports stadium, but now it's just like a, a coliseum basically where you would fight a lion or whatever <laughs> and uh, he hired us to host he was a fan of the group and he hired us to host this Greek thing which come to find out is basically like sort of all lip syncing sketches sort of like um, uh, uh, amusement park style you know how you sort of come out and they sort of do these really big movements and they're sort of lip syncing along with a pre-recorded track and everyone does that because you can't hear anything else so we come out to do our bits and whatever, and no one can hear us, and we're not Greek, and so they're like, boo! They literally booed us off stage. Now, what do you learn from that? Um, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. It's, it's getting booed off stage is really 
a great lesson because it's like, okay, well, you know, your, your heart is pounding. You're like, oh my God, these guys really hate us, but they're not, they don't have knives. They don't hate you enough to come and kill you. You know what I'm saying? The same thing, it's, uh, in, also with the same group, we went and did a show at a homeless shelter and, and we were going to do our show and then they were going to show a movie after us. And we got a little bit into our show and they were like, boo, bring on the movie. When's the movie starting? And we were like, homeless people have something better to do than watch our show. Like that was like very humbling. You know what I'm saying? And then it's, I think for me, it's like, it's like a bunch of lessons. Like one is you can't, you can't judge the quality of show by the audience with the reaction. Like the audience is going to like it or not like it, but you can do you know, really based stuff and really go blue or whatever if you're trying to, you know, sort of chase after that audience reaction, but that doesn't necessarily make the show good. And if the show's good, the audience may not may not react to it. But you have to sort of keep, I think the quality of the work is separate from the reaction. And a lot of times they intersect, but they're not the same thing. How do you stay even? Like you do a great show mm-hmm. and you don't get the response. Yeah. Uh, so what do you, what, what happens when you... Well, you know what? It's Here's the thing is... I have I have kids now, right? And so I think the kid things I've sort of come up with this idea that I think that things are so much more important to kids because it's such a bigger fraction of their life, right? One hour for me is a much smaller fraction of my life than it is for the for them. So for my four year old to wait an hour is like waiting a million years, you know? It's like a, a much bigger fraction. Same thing now with me having done this for almost thirty years or whatever, like one show is such a tiny fragment or fraction of my entire, uh, you know, work that it doesn't, it doesn't sway me as much. It was much more, when I was starting out, it was much more sort of like being pushed around. Like I remember like uh, the IO was very close to where I lived. And so I would like walk home after the shows all the time, sort of like think it out or whatever. And I remember walking home really down after some shows, like really up after some shows and stuff. But because it was such a bigger, each show was such a bigger fraction of my life. Like when I have my students and they, and they do a show and for level two, for, sorry, for level three, they do two performances, right? And they do like, like maybe one good one and one bad one. That means half the shows they've done have been bad. Half. If you did it, if you did, if half the shows you did were bad, you'd feel pretty, pretty bad about it. But once you've done like four shows and three of them are good and one, one was bad, then 75% of the shows you did are good. Oh my gosh, look at that. Suddenly I feel better about the whole thing. You know, so it's just like, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it just comes and goes. You just have to sort of let it go. Like it is the moment and, you know, and that's it. So how do you end up moving to Chicago after, uh, uh, you were at uh, University of Maryland. Right. I uh, had been uh, sort of doing improv around there, but there wasn't really a ton of opportunities. I ended up doing comedy sports for a little while, and I took class with this guy who taught in the basement of the Department of Defense, which was crazy. But he, this guy who taught at the Department of Defense um, uh, brought in Michael Gelman for a two-day intensive workshop one weekend. And I was like, I... I got to do that. And I had a great time. Super cool. Michael Gelman was really great. Super. I ended up having him as a teacher at Second City. Uh, and, uh, and I was just like, you know, after the class, I was just like, you know, I'm doing improv and I really love it. And I just don't, I don't really know what my next step is. He was like, well, you got to move to Chicago, which at the time was totally true. Like it was the Mecca and it was the only Mecca. Like now you can move to New York or you can move to LA or you can move to Chicago in general. And there, and you can move a hundred other places too. But big city wise so it was uh, I loved improv and I knew I wanted to do it 
So I had to move to Chicago. Like there was really no. And you got you had impressed him. You guys were supposed to do short for him, and you, your group decides to do. Oh yeah, yeah. That was actually coincidentally enough. After I met him at that at that workshop, I ended up um, my college group ended up going to this one of the very first improv festivals in the country at this college called uh, Skidmore, and uh, and everyone was doing and everyone had like X amount of time, or whatever. And they, a lot of people were doing short form because that was really what was out there: short form, short form, gigging. And so we were like, we we're like, we'll show you whatever. And so we decided that we were going to do a herald. So we sort of did our version of a herald, which was look, looking back crazy. But um, but afterwards, I had met him before, so I just sort of like approached him. I was like, I don't remember me or whatever, but you know, uh, I just do you have any thoughts about our show. And he said, I, what was probably the best thing he could have said. He's like, it was the ballsiest thing I saw out there tonight. And we were like, yeah, we were like over the moon. Like he didn't say it was good. He didn't say it was. Technically, right. He just said it was ballsy, and for us, that was success enough. We were super psyched. So then you come to Chicago. Now you've yeah. already you've already done improv for about seven years before coming. Uh, yeah. Well, let me think. I did like a couple years, maybe like maybe like four, maybe like four or five. Years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that you had some bad habits when you got here. Um, I don't know, maybe, yeah. I guess I had a, probably a lot, a lot of short-form habits. So how did you, like, get over your bad habits? Um, I think sort of really getting to perform. Like, getting to perform, um, you know, when I got here, the environment was super charged. It was super charged because, like, when I was here, you know, Dell was alive and teaching. Sharon is, was teaching. Uh, my I got... My teachers were like Adam McKay and Matt Besser and Ali and like Faranakian, sure. Yeah, just great, great people. They were all in the family. It was like a supercharged environment. So many of these people. And the family was this just legendary Herald team. Family was the team. There was right. like no team that was even close to the family. We right. all aspired to be the family. I the first time I saw the family, I got so mad because they were so good. I was like, God damn it. They're so good. It made me mad how good they were. And also sort of, it also sort of broke my heart because I was like, God, those guys are so good. I'm never going to be able to perform with those guys. They're so good. I admire them so much. It was like angry and heartbreaking and awe-inspiring and motivating like all at once. But because there were so many good people here, Craig Kakowski was on another team, Rich Tellerico, like a bunch of great people um, who I, Bob Dassey and Stephanie Weir, a bunch of people who I, the list could go on. The bar was so high that you could easily see, like, what you were doing wrong. Like, if you did something, that, if you had a bad habit, it would sort of stand out. You're like, oh, shit, these other great people aren't doing that. I need to, I need to fix that. I need to make myself better in this way. And as we said, I'm very determined. So <laughs> Just, I, I, I admire you for that, and I, I wish I could have more of that. Was that something you did just happen, you were born with, you think, or is it something you've uh, been developing? I think a combination of the two. I, I definitely think I was born with it to a certain extent because I feel like, uh, I, I don't know that my parents were super disciplined in that in that way, um, so I didn't necessarily learn it from them. I think part of it was was just genetically in me, and then part of it was I just sort of had these things that I cared very passionately about. Like as I said, when I saw improv, I was like, "That's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life," and I was really serious. It it was like the only thing I can like, liken it to is like if somebody gets called to the priesthood. Like it was perfectly clear to me and announced itself with such force in my life I was like that's my life's calling like I was super looking back I was super lucky to find the thing that I was so passionately about so early in my life you know what I'm saying it clarified so many things in it 
cut out so many other things. It was great. So then you, you, you've been at I.O. Chicago, which was then Improv Olympic. Yes. For a couple of years. Yes. And then you get a call from Sharna who yes. says, we'd like you, uh, Adam McKay, uh, who was on The Family, <laughs> yes. is not, uh, can't, can't do the show. Yes. Uh, he, had, he was on the main stage. He had gotten called out to main stage of Second City, and so he was doing that. So would you like to sit in with him? And on that team, as you mentioned, was yes. Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, Miles Stroth, uh, Neil Flynn, Pete Holney. Would you like, and Ali Faranakian, would you like to sit in tonight? With the family. With the family. Yes. It was the craziest call I'd ever gotten in my life. And it was like, it was so, it was literally, turns out, a life-changing call. But it was... It was in what fit, way? Because it was like, because I was sort of their same age, but I, I didn't start it when they started. So I was sort of in between. I was like... I was, like, older than my contemporaries, like, class-wise, you know what I'm saying? People I was in class with and performed with. I was older than them, but I hadn't been doing it as long as the family, you know? So I had sort of, I was sort of in between in, in that respect, and um, and I was just trying to find my place a little bit, you know? And uh, and so Sharna calls me, and it's, like, basically, like, go, you're, like, you're playing Little League, and someone's like, hey, you want to play for the Yankees? And you're like, yes, I do. But I was, like, totally, like, showed up with my tie on or whatever, and they were all, like, super casual and stuff. And I was just like, hi, I'm the new guy. I'm here to play, which is still kind of the case, really. I feel like when we play with Beer Shark and Mars, it's the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm super psyched about this, yeah, guys. And they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Um, but it, was, it ended up being life-changing because it was, like, sort of, like, it launched me into the next phase of my, let's say, career, you know? It launched me into the next phase of my career. Like, I was this guy that, I was the first person of this next generation performing with the family. And that ended up being a, a bunch of different right. things. I, I ended up teaching. I was the first person for my generation to teach. And, like, it, it just launched me in so, in so many ways. But you do get a little shit, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, and we don't have to go into specifics. Right. Uh, but... Some people give you some shit for because yeah. you, you, you're jumping, you're, you're cutting in line. Yeah, that's basically, basically I had got some static from people basically feeling that I had jumped the line a little bit, which I, which I totally get. I could totally understand that. But, like, I think, I think sort of what they weren't taking into account is, like, I'd already been doing it for, like, four or five years before I even came to Improv Olympic, and I had been doing it here in Chicago for, like, another two or three years before I get. So I had, like, ten years in the game before I even started at I.O. But they just saw me as, like, oh, he's just been through these couple levels of classes. Why is he blah, 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 you know? It, what I find fascinating is how do you deal with that and then get over it? Because I'm such a people pleaser, and I'd be like, oh, yeah. they're right. Yeah. How did you deal with that? To show up and get over it. Uh, for me, that, that was not it was not hard to get over because I was just like, whatever. Like I, it was clear that it was clearly jealousy, and and I and I, which I totally understood. But I was like, this is a great opportunity for me, and I was like playing with the people that I thought I would never get to play with on a level that I had only hoped to to, to play on for so long, and so. You know, it was very easy. I was just like, I just got to do this and focus on the work and 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 do that. And that's and that's what I did. It was like, it was a minor distraction. Like when I when I sort of when these things would happen every once in a while, I was always like, really, <laughs> really. It was just crazy to me. But I just, yeah. in that first show with them, because yeah. they're they're all such strong personalities. Oh, yeah. How do you deal with a, some of these people? Were my teachers? I'm yeah. intimidated. Yeah. How do how, you know? How do you show up and play? Um, they uh, the thing about it is, 
um, you just, I, I just had to sort of go in there and do the best that I could. Like I wasn't, I wasn't hoping or thinking or planning, oh, I'll be the star of this show or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to go in there and do the work and, and that's it. That's really all I could do was just do the work. And uh, it was all forms that I had done in classes and stuff. And it was like, I think it was like Three Mad Rituals. Or no, it was Dynamite, it was Dynamite Fun Nest. So it was like mostly forms that I had done in class before and stuff. And so I, I kind of knew my way around that. But um, And what do you mean by do the work? Just show up and do the work. Just, I, just not really stress about the result. Just like do what we had been training to do. You know what I'm saying? Like just yes and and give out offers and kind of like put myself out there and take chances and, and all that stuff. Just, just be an improviser and, and not really think about kind of the, the other thing that was very helpful though, is that they're all good improvisers too. And so it wasn't like I was competing with them. It's like I was suddenly on their team and they were feeding me and supporting me and yes, anding me and keeping me going. And I was trying to do the same for them. So it was, uh, it was intimidating to do, but really fun and, and surprisingly. And did they ever give you feedback after the show or say, oh, that was great. Or, you know what? To... Uh, I think positive. I don't think they ever gave me notes after the show. Um, they didn't, I don't recall them ever giving me notes after the show. We would sort of talk through stuff a little bit after the show. But in general, I think, I think that if I would have gotten notes after the show, I wouldn't have been back for a second show. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like it was that. It was if like, they gave you notes, you're not coming back. Right, exactly. If they didn't say anything, keep showing up. Basically, that was it. It was very, like, sort of under the radar sort of thing. I should also say, for, for historical accuracy, I got that call, and I was dating Cara McNamara at the time. Sure. And I called her, and I was like, oh, my God, I just got this call. She's like, so did I. And so it was actually the two of us. So I had one sort of ally in, in the... Was that better for you that you both were doing it? Or was it... Uh, for part of me, be like, oh, I thought it was just me. I definitely, I'll be honest, I definitely st- thought a little bit of that uh, or initially. Because I was like, oh my God, look at this crazy thing. And then she's like, me too. And I was like, oh my God. But then uh, it ended up, I think, probably being good because it wasn't just, you know, one person in the mix. There was like some... And I had worked with her a bunch, obviously. So... Um, so I think it made it probably a little bit easier. And then at this time, you're also on a team called The Tribe. And you guys were known for... Well, actually, at that time, I was on a team called Faulty Wiring okay. with Cara and uh, Peter Gwynn and Stu Seidel and Greg Lindsay and Lisa Trask and uh, I'm sure I'm probably, Oliver Ortel. I think that was a bunch of us, yeah. But eventually you get on this team called The Tribe. Yes, yes. And After the Faulty Wiring, we end up, I ended up sort of doing... Uh, yeah, sort of pulling the tribe together with a bunch of people I knew from Northwestern. Right, and you guys were 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 known for doing this form called the improv improvised movie. Yes, which was something that the family gave you. Yes, because they, they had, had done. They had sort of pioneered it with Dell, and uh, and they were doing it. They did it in Three Mad Rituals, and they did it in Dynamite Fun Nest. And uh, then they all kind of like moved on. Like some people went to Second City and then UCB kind of moved to New York and sort of their team sort of like uh, disbanded. So there was like no one doing the movie. So we kind of adopted it. it coincidentally to this, I sort of part of the other thing, I, I, I sort of inherited Matt Besser's level three class at IO, which means I was teaching the improvised movie and the deconstruction. And so, um, and so I was really in love with the movie and had done it a few times with them. And so when we got together as the, the tribe, um, 
we sort of decided to to pursue the improvised movie as our sort of signature form, something different than doing the arrow. What was it about the movie that you love? Besides, you love action movies. Uh, yeah, it's it's really. I think it's a it's a the movie is a form that's like for movie lovers by by movie lovers is what I always think. You know what I'm saying? Because it really plays on like the tropes and conventions of movies and sort of like plays with them and shows them and sort of like you need to kind of you need to kind of know movies to to have fun time playing the improvised movie, I think, or else you're kind of uphill on the whole situation. Um, and also it was like super fast and uh, uh, I think super fast and super heady and uh, it's just about movies. Like those are the things that, that we really liked about but it. But the other thing is it could, it, 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 it appealed to a wider audience, I, I would say, because yeah. pe- people understand movies, they understand that. So much so that... Um, you guys got to do it at the Aspen Comedy Festival. And for people, not many people, not many improvised acts or groups got to do the Aspen Comedy Festival. You guys got to do that. Yes. I think we were, at that time, we were like, I think there was one the very first year, and then they were scared off for a couple of years, and then and then a few years later, it was, it was us. And then I, since then, I don't really know. How, how did that happen? Um, there was a scout named Lisa Langang who uh, was out looking at acts and different things, and she uh, came and saw our show and liked it. And then afterwards, she, since I was the director or whatever, she and I had a quick little conversation, and she was like, is it, is it not like, is it always good, but is it going to be good? Cause she was putting her name on the line, so she's like, is it going to be good? And I was like, yes. I was like, yes, we'll, we'll do a good one. And so, um, and so, yeah, and so that was it. It was actually super quick. Uh, she she saw us and she wanted us to go and we wanted to go. And now, how did you have that confidence? When you said that to her, were you like, okay, I think it's going to be good. I'm just going to tell her this. Or did you, did you really believe it? We had been doing it for a little while and I really liked everyone I was working with. I thought everyone was like super sharp and smart and cool. And I thought we were like, I felt like we really had a had a handle on it. So I was pretty confident about it. Pretty confident. How, do, how did you develop your confidence? Because that's another thing I admire. You always confidence. Now, I want to attribute it to Northwestern because I, I have such resentment. These You guys that come out of Northwestern, you are so savvy and have so much confidence. Well, um, I think that sort of... Uh, I just went to Northwestern for graduate school. So I'm not like... The rest of the guys, most of the rest of the guys on the tribe were all like undergrads. So they had gone through the whole Northwestern experience per se. I think that sort of... There's just certain things that I think in your life that, that you know about. Like, I know about improv. Like, I'm super confident about improv because I, I understand. I know what I know, and, and, I'm, and I'm good to go. But you, but you had that even early. When, when you were a couple, three years, four years at the Improv Olympic, you had that confidence. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess so. I just, just because I, I just knew that – well, I guess partly it was just that I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So, so you know, good or bad or indifferent, I was moving forward. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Should, should I continue with this? Like, I was all in. Like, when I, from that moment I saw that show, I was 100% in, and everything else was just like a, an obstacle or a challenge or a lesson to be learned or whatever, and, and, uh, and that, that was it for me. Like, I was, I think, I think, I think the clarity of purpose, like, I was so clear as I said, it was really like a religious thing. I was so super clear on what I wanted to do that at, at that point I was like, yeah, great. You hated that show? Okay, great. I'll make it better. What, what, what can I do? Great. Okay, great. Perfect. I'll do that next time. Whatever. I'm just like, boom. I was ready to hear notes. And like, I was like, even when like I, uh, I first was signing up for classes and I was telling Sharna, 
which I'm sure she hears a lot and whatever, and I hear it a lot now too, is like, you know, I have been doing this for a while. Do you think level one's really the place for me to start? And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was like a little, a little humbling, but looking back, I'm glad that I started at the beginning of the program. It didn't jump to level two or whatever. I think sort of that sort of like, it's not, it, it, somewhere in me, it sort of made me understand it's not about that, your credentials or whatever. It's about getting in there and doing the work. And to me, that, that really made sense. Like, it was like a kind of a slap me down, put me in my place, but, but in, a, in a really great way. And I, I have that same understanding now when I talk to students who are like, I'm here in level one, but really, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. Like, well, you know, let's see, let's, let's try out the class and see how it goes and whatever. And I've never, there's always something you can learn. There's always something you can learn. I feel like the basics are so, especially level one, which is my favorite to teach. I feel like the basics are so important. And I always come back to that. And, you know, I'm at a point now where uh, I've been doing this for a while. So when a team comes to me to coach them, it's not a brand new team. They just don't, I just don't come into contact with new teams for whatever reason, right? But the teams that come to me are like, oh, we've been together for seven years. We've kind of lost our way. We want to whatever. And, I, you know, that's the teams that I deal with. Or like when Beer Shark Mice like came, like, you want to coach us? And I was like, what the hell? But uh, the thing I do with them is I do with those teams exactly what I do with my level one class. Back to the basics. Because if those teams have lost their way, it's because they've lost track of the basics. And they're sort of playing fast and loose. And they're playing jokes and shorthand and all these other things. And, you know, so... Yeah, it's, it's, I just keep coming back to this idea that it's about the work. So, Beer Shark Mice yeah. asks you to coach them. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It, it was just like that, just like being asked to play with the family. I was like, it was crazy because it was all, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if Pat was still there. Because Pat, the, the group. Pat, Pat Finn? No, Pat McCartney. Pat McCartney. Was one of the, was one of the original members. He, had, he ended up moving to New York, which kind of made a space for me. Um, but uh, they were all like the as it is, the group's all a bunch of alpha males. Like that's all there is to that, you know? And so, and so when they came to me, I was like shocked and, and a little bit intimidated, but I was like, okay, let's do this and whatever. And, and, and I sort of, luckily I kind of knew that it was going to be what it was going to be. Like, it wasn't going to be like me, like coming over the top and saying like, look, you guys, like I can do with other teams because I just have more seniority. I was like, look, you guys, let's do it this way. It was just like, it was more of a collaboration. I was luckily smart enough to realize that going into it. So I would say my piece and then Dave would say his and maybe, you know, Pete would say something or whatever. And I would sort of like get it back on track. And I came in with some extra, let's try this. And we would go through and everyone kind of would have their say a little bit. And I'd say, okay, let's now try this or whatever. And sort of just, you know, sort of guiding it more than directing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You were improvising along with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I figured that, I don't know how, but luckily I figured that out before I got there and I didn't try to come over the top on it, so it was much easier than it could have been. So you you, you, you coach them. Yeah. How many times do you coach like them? one or two. Okay. Not, not many. And then what happens after that? Then they start performing or whatever, and uh, they were six originally, and then, like I said, Pat McCartney moved to New York. And so then they were five, and then and they were kind of cool with five for a while, but then they uh, people were working or out of town or whatever, so they started needing, they didn't want to do four, which I get. I think four is the hardest number. Um, Why is four the hardest number? Because I, I think four is the hardest number because if you do two-person scenes, then it's like one and two are on stage, and then, sw- and then three and four sweep in. Then for the next scene, 
one and two come back again, but as different characters now. It's just like to mix up that thing is like really you have to put a lot of conscious energy to mix up the pairs. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's like one and two, three and four, one and two, three and four, right? And so um, I think that's a really hard number. And so uh, so they were kind of down to four, and they didn't really want to do four, and and so they were like asking. You know, they asked me, because I guess maybe it's like, they asked me to sort of play in with them. And I think Bob Dassey did it once or twice. And just, just asking a few different people. And I think I just sort of matched up with them style-wise or whatever. And so, uh, but, but I was like the, I was like the the girl like waiting by by your phone like Saturday night. Like, I wonder if they're going to call me. And then it would be like 8.30 and the show's and I'm like, okay, I guess not. And then I'd make plans with my wife. But I was like, whenever there was a show, I was like, maybe they're going to call me today. No. And then finally, after a few, quite a few years of that, Pete was like, you know you're on the team, right? You should just show up. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, of course I did. Very yeah, unceremonious. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was Now, you fun. describe them as alpha males. Do you describe yeah. yourself as an alpha male? Uh, yeah, I would say probably. I mean, I'm sort of bossy, and I like things to go my way, and I'm not, I'm not really afraid to speak up about stuff. So I suppose. I, suppose. So I, I don't know if in that group. If I'm an alpha male, you know what I'm saying? Right. I don't know. I don't think Donald Trump would be an alpha male in that group. Do yeah. You? Yeah. It's it's a lot of big personalities yeah. and people very confident and right. stuff. And that's that's kind of what I like about it because it's like you can totally like like unleash yourself and like just swing for the fences because you know that like there's a, there's just a bunch of other monsters out there and like everyone's swinging for the fences. Not not in a sort of egotistical way, but they're all like whoosh, like totally open to expressing their full. Power, and they're yeah. also like, you know, of course, Dave Keckner's on the team, yeah. Neil Flynn, yeah. uh, uh, Pat Finn, Pete Holney, Mike Coleman. They're all, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and, and, and of course you, they're all, you guys are all, you all are strong in different ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's what's fun about the team is everyone has their own, their own thing. So everyone has like their strong suit that they play in, but then also I think everyone's like courageous enough to like at times play out of there strong suit so it's really great and and you know it's like yeah it's it's fun because it's like when you when I play like in a lottery or a like a student thing like oh you come be our our alumni guest or whatever I'm I'm not like playing the same forceful way that I'm playing in Bear Shark Mice I'm like looking out for those other students and taking, make sure they're making sure they look good and sort of really nurturing them along and like throwing them the, the, the good big idea. You know what I'm saying? Which I'm, which I love to do. I, I'm happy to do that. I love playing that way. Um, but in beer shark mice, you, you don't, that's just, you don't have to do that. You don't need to do that. So then you can devote your energy to other things. You know what I'm saying? Like Neil one time said, it's like he, he said, and I really stuck with me. He said, uh, he said, performing with these guys is like going into battle with a bunch of Navy SEALs. Like, everyone's just like at the top of their game, like ready to go. Let's do this. Um, so let's talk a little about uh, your teaching. Okay. Um, you're known as a very passionate teacher. Mm-hmm. And passion is something that is hard to teach. But you seem to, with your students, give them passion when, when, you, when you teach them. How do you teach passion to, to students? The same passion you have about improv, how do you pass it on to them? Um, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's something that can be taught, but I think it's contagious. You know what I'm saying? I love it so much. And so I think that comes through in my teaching, and I think that it's, it's just catchy. It just people can catch it. You know, it's, it's sort of uh, like that. It's, it's contagious in that way. So I think it's just by 
by still being in love with it after all these years. That's crazy. I, how, how do you still stay in love with it? Because I, I fall out of it. I get yeah. burnt out. I, I get frustrated with it. How do you... I, I think because I, I really love the two levels that I'm teaching, like level one and level three at, at IO now, IO West is level one is intro to improv and level three is intro to Herald. So they're beginnings. I love to launch people on their beginnings. You know what I'm saying? Sort of like they come to me with like, like in level one, they're just like hanging on to me. Please, I just want to survive this class. Right. I had a terrible experience at another place or I've never done an improv. I'm totally terrified. So it's, it's it's really inspiring to me. Like first of all, I'm I'm really attracted to people who are at the are at a dynamic point of their life. I always I always find them somehow. Like if someone's like, yeah, I'm thinking about moving. Like that's the person I'll run into at the supermarket. And I'm like, that's awesome, great. Where are you moving? You moving out of state? That's made, like I'm so because I think that's so exciting for some reason. I hate moving, but I think it's exciting. The idea of it's super exciting. And so when these people come to me, they're all at a dynamic point. They're starting a new journey. And I'm there. I get to be there at the beginning of the thing. And I get to see them from sometimes from the beginning of a class to the end of a class, like one night, see them get better. It's amazing. Like in three hours, like suddenly they're like doing something they weren't doing before. That's incredible to me. It's so gratifying. You just see them like, you see them like, ah, and sometimes they actually do that. Oh, and you're like, yes, that's it. Right. That's, that's that thing. And same thing with the intro to Harold. Like, Intro to Herald is much more technical. There's like a lot more technical sort of bits and pieces to it, but they're still at the beginning of this journey with the Herald. And, I, and, I, and I'm there again. I'm like, here, hey, you guys, look, here's this new thing. Let's try this out. But it's like, I just, I just love it so much. And it's like the hardest part, for me, the hardest part of a class is leaving my house. Because I have a wife and kids that I really love and love to hang out with them and stuff. So like leaving them and saying goodbye to them and whatever is the hardest. But once I once I start my class and like, all right, how's everybody doing tonight? And then all of a sudden, like just from the fourth, like up through, just the floods back into me. The joy of it. The drive there, I'm like sometimes oh, I don't know, just want to get a sub and go home, or whatever. But but then when I then when I get there, I'm always I'm always happy that I went. I'm always happy that I went. And I feel like I, I learned something and I have a great time and I love to see people. I love improvisers. I just love improvisers. That's what is it about improvisers that you love? I just love people that are like taking taking they're creating something out of nothing. I think that's so great, so interesting to me. That like because when you think of an improv stage, it's just like a blank stage and a couple of chairs, and then people sort of like left to their own devices, and you see see them creating something out of nothing. I think that's really thrilling. And people who can sort of do that and like really embrace the whole philosophy of making your partner look good and working with some and responding in the moment. It's like, it, you know, Dell used to say that it's, it's like Zen. It's like Zen. Cause it's like, it's kind of like, is like a spiritual practice, you know? And then, and then because you're like, you really have to be in the moment. And that's really what Zen is. Zen is like being in that moment. You know what I'm saying? And I tell my kids all the time, like learning how to improvise, like learning how to fight because you need to be in the moment having the fight that's happening now, responding to your part, what they're actually doing. Not what you thought they were going to do, not what you hoped they were going to do, not what you wanted them to do, but what they're actually doing, just like in a fight. So you need to respond to them in that, in that moment. When you say fight, are you mean verbal fight or you mean physical fight? Like a fight? physical fight. Like in a physical fight, you, you, have a, you have a little bit of a plan. I'm going to really try to work the jab or I'm going to work the body or whatever. But that takes a second, a second place to... The really responding to your partner in the moment. You can't come out and just work your plan, irrespective of what they do, because they're gonna they're gonna kill you, right? But when you when you're really fighting or sparring with someone, you're really sort of responding to them in the moment. They're putting out something, and then you're responding, and you're putting out something, right? And improv is the exact same way. 
And that's really fun to see people get into that moment that is so not what we do in day-to-day life. I, I really do, I, I do like the same couple of warm-ups every class because to me that's like a ritual that takes them from, this is, hey, hang with me, it takes them from like the day-to-day life into the ritual space of theater. And it's like we do this little ritual, we do these two warm-ups, and then we may do others too, but we always do these two. It just gets us back on the yes and gets us connecting with our partners. And those are the things that in the day-to-day life, we don't, because of survival and stuff, we don't do those. We have to sort of put our game face on to go out and face the world. When, when I hear you stuff. speak, to me it's like, what is, what is influencing your improvisation? It's like, I feel like w- w- when I teach, it's like all the therapy that I've done mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that's... And I'm using improv to communicate that. You, what, what is the stuff that influences or has, you're bringing into your teaching? Uh, I think it's sort of, when I was younger, I really fell in love with, with Zen and sort of the way of the samurai and this sort of thing. And like, you know, someone who, someone who conquers someone else is strong, but someone who conquers himself is powerful. You know what I'm saying? It's just like this sort of thing of like, this is really a, this can really be a spiritual path. I, I really feel like that. And, and I think anyone can learn the craft of it. I really am committed to that idea. Anyone can learn the craft of it. And then some people could take it to that next level to the art form. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like I'm sort of, that, that's really, really sort of influences me. And I just, when you see it as like a, a spiritual path, you sort of see influences everywhere. Like someone says something about cooking. You're like, Oh, that's about improv. And I write it down. I tell my kids about it or whatever. And I think that's really, I mean, Joseph Campbell, I, was listening, I used to have this series of Joseph Campbell tapes that I really love, I listen to all the time. And one time he's talking to this woman who's like, but what if you don't, what if you don't believe in anything? What do you do? And he's like, well, do you love anything? This, this teacher, is, he's relaying the story. This teacher is talking to this woman. She's like, what if you don't, you know, what if you don't believe in anything? He's like, well, do you love anything? And she's like, well, I love my little nephew. And he's like, that, then, then that's your spiritual path. Do that. Poga is yoga. It's like what you do can be your, anything you do can be your spiritual practice if you do it with that mindset. And for me, that's kind of what improv is. Like it's, it's crazy that it's like all bits and gags and laughs and whatever, but I think that there's a very spiritual <laughs> component of it that, that really keeps me coming back year after year and week after week. And, you know, I, I am as excited to get on stage for every show as I was for my first show. I just love it. And I, and I also feel like, especially when I was in college and, you know, you get like sick or whatever, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> then I would get on stage and have like this, you know, what the Greeks would call an ecstatic experience where like everything would just like purge out. And I would feel like, I'd feel like a million bucks. I wouldn't be sick anymore for the course of this show. And then afterwards I would sort of like come down and sort of like fall back from my thing. But for that moment, for that hour or whatever, it was like, boom, you're accessing this higher power and you're like I'm 100% totally great you know like have you ever done this in a show where you're like whatever and all of a sudden you come out after a show and you're like ah my elbow what did I do to my elbow but in the in the ecstasy of it you don't recognize that you know what I'm saying because you're high, operating this higher level some of the best shows I've ever done is when I'm sick totally because you're because so, you're not thinking about you, you don't have the energy to devote to these other higher level worries or whatever you're just I just want to get through this the simplest things. You you fall back on the basics, you do the work, and then surprisingly enough. And I think this passion and excitement that you still have comes out in the book that you recently wrote called The Triangle of the Scene. How did you decide to, to do that book? Um, I had been sort of wanting to write about a book about improv for a long time, 
But by the same token, I wanted to add something to the conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like Sharna's book, like a truth, truth and comedy, comedy and 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 mixed book, improvise the scene from the inside out, and and a lot of these books had said so many important things, and I wanted to write a book. Originally, I thought, oh, I'll write a book about Zen and the art of improv, but then someone had kind of written a book like that or whatever. But it really, so I had that urge to write a book, but I wanted to. I was kind of like searching for my subject, really. But having taught level one for so long, I kind of had a sort of a way, I was developing this way of teaching it that seemed to work for the students and, and definitely worked for me. And, uh, and one time, at, at the end of class at the I.O. West, the students fill out evals, like evaluating me and the class and like what worked for you and what didn't, what can we make better and, you know, this kind of thing. And uh, did you see a lot of shows? Like all those kind of, just to sort of gauge where students are at. I think that's super important. And this one woman writes on her thing. She's like, I feel like I'm leaving this class with a really tangible set of tools that I can use over and over again. And I was like, yes, that's what it is. It ha it, that's, I had been sort of along the way, just sort of teaching them the, these exercises and, and sort of urging them toward these experiences that then they would hopefully sort of like key back to later on. And I was real, that's not enough. That's not enough, I, I realized. It's got to be these a set of tools that they can use. And so once I landed on that, it sort of like really pulled together the triangle of the scene, which I had kind of been teaching, but it sort of pulled that together. It's like, oh, this, this can be a set of tools. And then I was able to sort of like pull that together and quantify that as here's the triangle of the scene. And, and, the, and once I got that, then it was just a matter of, of time inside of it. So why, can you explain to us what the triangle of the scene is? Sure. So in, in, in classical sort of improv theory, we talk about the who, what, and where, right? The who, what, and where. And the who, what, and where are generally nouns, right? But I think that sort of improv isn't a noun, it's a verb, right? So, so kind of like the, the tools that I urge people towards is, is the triangle of the scene is what's your game? Like if you're my partner, what's your game? What's my game? And what are we doing, right? What are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing it about? This is another way that I say it. In, you know, the, the UCB and, and a lot of people talk, talk about the game as being like the first weird thing or the first odd thing or, you know, or the pattern or there's a lot of different definitions of the game. I use this idea that each character has a game that they play, right? And that's kind of like their character. Like, and I always use Friends as an example. Like in Friends, the, show, the TV show Friends, everyone has a super clear game. Ross is the nerdy one, Joey's the dumb one, Chandler's the sarcastic one, Monda is a control freak, Rachel's a princess, and Phoebe's the spacey one. It'd be a character game. A character the, game. Their point of view is, they're always exactly. going to see it this way. Exactly. It is a lens through which they see the world and through which they interact with the world. And if, if each character has that, then the game of the scene is really those two things rubbing up against each other. What I like about this idea is that it, it, it generates a kind of scene which is a relationship based, that is it's happening between these two people, game driven, our characteristics are pushing it forward, uh, a two person scene, relationship based, game driven, two person scene. And it is a, it's a little more actory. Sometimes uh, in other sort of versions of the game, the game exists outside of the players, outside of the characters, and the characters are just really like cogs in a machine. You know what I'm saying? But I think if the game comes from the character, then, then, it, then it really bonds it back to relationship. You know what I'm saying? So give us the, the – there's three sides to this triangle mm -hmm. of, of the, the triangle of the scene. Can you just explain what the, the three sides sure. are? Sure. So the three sides, the three sides are um, what, what's my game, right? So that would be whatever my game is. Let's say my game is I'm a control freak. 
what's your game? Let's say you're super sensitive. And then what's the activity? We're rowing a canoe, right? That's it. If you have those three things, you can do the scene. That's all you need, right? And so I think it, to So start, my character would take everything personally. Yes. And you would... I'm trying to control it. Like I, we get we get in the canoe and I'm like, come on, it's two strokes on the right and two on the left. That's what I told you. And then you're like, but why are you thinking of me? This is a great, great getaway for us. It is a great getaway. I scheduled fun time later on after we rode, you know what I'm saying? After we get across the lake. You don't have to, don't yell at me like that. Well, it seems like I have to yell because you're not getting it. <laughs> oh, you're talking down to me now. Why don't you just speak to me in a soft voice? I tried speaking to you in a soft voice and you can't remember two left and two right. Come on. Oh, you're calling me stupid now. I'm leaving. Good. Swim. Swim back to shore. Well, I'll I, go the rest of the way by myself. You know I can't swim. Well, there you go. Then I guess you have to do what I said, right? And we just sort of play this thing. It's just those two things rubbing up against each other, right? And then and then everything else in the scene grows out of that. The the way that we interact, the, the activity or the where are all tools and props for us to show our games and to show our relationship. So the thing that I really love about it is that is that you know a lot of times as improv improv teachers we say use the where use the space engage the where but what do we use it for except like busy work right so this what I like about this is students can kind of get the idea like oh I use the where or the environment to show my game right if you're oversensitive maybe you have a box of tissues with you right and if I'm a control freak maybe I have like a schedule or a day planner and I'm sort of like looking things up there or I'm sort of writing what you know what I'm saying but it's like all that grows out of my character my use of the where is an example of my point of view and you're an example of your point of view and it gives us opportunities to use the where to show our games and our relationships. Well, and, and, and I think it's interesting because in the book you mm. talk about the importance of object work. And yeah. object work to me is almost a lost art in oh. improv. Wh why is it still important to improv? Because it, for so many reasons. One, as I just said, it, it, it gives us a chance to show our games. Show beats tell every time, right? If you say you're greedy but you don't act greedy, you don't show me that you're greedy, I don't believe you're greedy. You know what I'm saying? You have to show me. That's so give me an example. So I could say, look, I'm greedy. Look, look, I'm greedy. Uh, I want all those cookies. Right. But see, once you start saying, I want all those cookies, then you're doing it. Then you're using the where, right? Because you're like, you're, we're, we're two guys working in a, in a break room of an office, and I'm the greedy one, and I'm like, hold on. There's only five donuts here. This, I think I'm going to hang on to these. Yeah, ones. but they're for all of us. Well, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really been working a lot. I didn't hang I, on. I understand, but it says I, for I, all I, of I, us. Why don't I just hang on to these? I'll dole them out. I, I'll give you a, here, like half the donut. Half you don't the want, donut. I'll, you don't want it? I'll eat it. Whatever. And, and now suddenly we're using this to show this. What I've come upon recently is that the, that the relationship is the transaction, right? And that the, and that the, 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 um, the where is the currency. The relationship is the transaction, and the where and the things that we're doing, the activity, is the currency. So what we just did in that donut thing, donuts, donuts snippet, uh, explain the currency. The currency, the thing is I'm greedy, right? So we're showing that about me. But how do we show that transaction or that, that sort of thing about me that I'm greedy? Well, that transaction is shown by the currency, by the way that I'm interacting with these donuts between the two of us. Do you know what I'm saying? By using that... That's the currency. Like when, like when we buy something, it's like, I want this thing from you and whatever. And so I give you money, right? And we, that's, that's the way that we do it. Same thing. I want to show that I'm greedy. How do I do that? I do that by engaging the where and using what's there to show that rather than just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right? And so show, show is always better than tell. And so that's why I encourage my students to do And then you can, if you can use the where, it, it, it allows you to show your game and your relationship. It keeps you alive in the scene. It makes you look more natural, not just like a talking head. Uh, three, it sort of it gives you the opportunity to make discoveries 
in, you know, that, that you wouldn't make just from talking. Well, I think it gets back to the, it gets you out of your head because you, you're doing something with your hands and it, it's, it's freeing you up. Right, and, it's, and, and, and you can vary the tempo of the scene, you can use subtext, because if I'm using the, if I'm using the where, if I'm frying eggs and, and you come in and you say, oh, you're, you're still mad, huh? I can, I can say, like, I'm not mad, no, I'm not, I'm not mad. I can show that I am mad, even though I'm saying that I'm not mad. So I can play subtext now, because I have a way to, to yes you physically, even though I'm saying no verbally, right? So you're saying no, but you're beating the eggs like you want to kill right. me. Exactly, right? And so... And and using the wear has all these benefits, and we are creatures that exist in wares. We uh, we. I was telling my students like I don't just come up to someone and say, "Please, can we step into the encounter chamber so we may encounter each other?" No, we never do that. When my wife is coming to talk to me about something, we rarely just sit down and talk it out. I'm doing the dishes, whatever, and she's like, "Oh, I want to talk about the kids or whatever." And so we sort of. You We're know. already in the encounter chamber. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of that thing of like, life is what happens while you're making other plans, right? So life is what happens when you're kind of doing other stuff. You know, I've, I've got to tell you the most important thing in the world, but I'm still mowing the lawn while I do it. Like, look, here's the thing. I think I'm going to divorce your mother. Right. Right? Because I, I, for me, when, when two people on stage say, you know what, let's just sit down and talk this out. I'm like, here we go. You are just, all the energy is going to drain out of your butt and everyone's getting super reasonable. And when two people on stage are being very, very reasonable, they're, they're I think, really done for in a lot of We got to wrap this up. Yeah, but there's a couple things that yeah. I, I, I want to just touch on. Okay. And the thing that I loved about the book, and I really, really, really loved the book, is you say right from the get-go, it's about, uh, the goal of long form is a relationship-based, game-driven, two-person scene. Yes. Why are people want to run away from that um, why don't they embrace that more because i think that the the thing the thing that i see in place of that is clever and slick and i think that clever and slick is sort of easier in some ways to do than this i, I tell my students that i work with for a long time like look there's easier ways to do this but i don't think there's a better way to do it you know what i'm saying because i think what we're talking about, like not using the, not using the wear, is a very big symptom of this. Like what we see a lot, especially in LA, sometimes is is two guys, two twenty-something white dudes standing on stage, arms crossed, being clever at each other. We see that in Chicago too. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just ripped through the scene. You just come through, and it's just like clever, 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 clever. But it's not. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't sort of move us because, I, like you know, I'm a person, so I relate to people relating to each other. If I was a premise, then I would relate to premises, but I don't because I'm not, right? And so I think that sort of when I, when I think back, maybe it's this, when I think back about the work that really moved me or really engaged me and stuff that the family did or stuff that um, the other teams at, at that time did, the stuff that really stuck with me was the stuff that was like, was like at, with actors, you know, like people relating to each other and affecting each other, you know? And that's what, and that's, I think, what we need for long form because if we don't, have a relationship-based game-driven scene, then it's a little bit thin. If it's only game and no relationship, it's too thin. If it's only relationship and no game, it can wander a little bit, right? And when we start putting scenes together in a long form and we're thinking about the second beat or the third beat or tag outs, those hinge on the idea of game. Because once I know what your game is, like you're greedy or whatever, then when I tag in, I'm working against this known quantity to to foil that or to show that, to demonstrate that in another situation, like the second beat of a herald, right? Same thing. This new character in a, this same character in a new situation, 
demonstrating their game in a new way. But if they don't have that game in the, in the first round, then we are marrying ourselves to story, right? And story's part of it, but I think the long form has a really great possibility to more than say what's next, what story does, we can say what else. We can explore outward into the world of these characters. And that's when things can really connect and sort of come back and, and tag outs and callbacks and all that kind of stuff because, because it's, the, it's these, these uh, games are like handles. Like, oh, I get, your, I get what your guy is. You know what would be a really great place for him to be is this, to really push on his game. You know what I'm saying? And so if those games are really clear, then those characters have so much more utility in the long run. The other thing that yeah. I loved in your book, and you also did it as one of your improv tips. Oh, great. And that is how to listen better. Mm-hmm. And I think you broke it down into four yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, parts. The, the four-step process, yeah. This is something that I sort of overheard from, from James. I think that I overheard from James. but I was James like, Grace? Yeah, James okay. Grace. But I uh, will steal from anyone. Right. Like, if they have a good idea, I'll steal it. Dell used to say, you call it plagiarism, I call it research. So I will give credit to, I think I heard it from James. And he deserves all the credit for that. And he's still the uh, artistic director yes. at iOS? Yes, 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 absolutely. And uh, it, it's basically this. Uh, the, when, when your partner says a line, um, you know, we always say, like, like, I try to, like, break things down to tools. That's my fetish now. It's like everything, what are the tools, right? So when we as improv teachers say, you just listen to your partner. Just listen to them, right? It's not just listen. It's like you need to listen with a little purpose, right? And so that's what the four-step process is, is that... Step one, what did they say? What did they literally just say? What are the words that just came out of their mouth, right? Two, what does that mean? Or what do I think that means, right? Because that sort of goes hand in hand with playing paranoid, also super important. So what do they say? What do I think that that means? Uh, and then the third step is, is how do I think or how does my character think or feel about that, right? And then finally, what am I going to say or do about that, right? But it puts the focus on your partner first and then on yourself. So let's take an example. Okay. First line I give you is, um, oh, you made it to my party. Okay. So what did he, literally what did he say? Oh, you made it to my party. What do I think that means? I think that means the way he said it and the whole thing seems like he doesn't really want me here. How do I feel about that? I feel like, uh, I feel like, uh, like, fuck him. And so what am I going to say or do about that? Yep. I'm here. I'm ready to have a good time. Let's do it. Right, but it's sort of—it's all responding to you on a on a deeper way. Because you could just say, you know, oh, you made it to my party, just like you did. I could be like, yep. Then what? You know, it's like all like blah blah blah. The 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 improv universe is not a random or innocent universe. You know, if we play paranoid, we then we realize that everything has a meaning or can have a meaning if we assign it a meaning, like paranoid people. You know what I'm saying? And I think it just infuses the work with energy. And makes it more fun to do, more fun to watch. That like, oh, there's something going on. And also sort of gives us that implied history that you know we just we just started we just started this scene. You just said that line, but now the way that you said it and the way I responded to it, suddenly there's like a a backstory that kind of exists for us. Then we don't have to chat, we don't have to talk about it, but there's like a tension happening there. Do you know what I'm saying? And what are the other the third and fourth steps to that line? Oh, well, the, the first step is, what did you say? Oh, you, oh, you made it to my party. What do I think? I think that means he doesn't really want me here. What do I think about that? I think, fuck him, he's not going to scare me away from this party. So what do I say? Yeah, I'm ready to have a good time. And I brought a bunch of my friends, 
right? So now I'm responding. Here's, here's what I think. Here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to respond in this way. Okay. Um, something else that I totally, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank here. No um, so, okay. Uh, yes, I've got two more questions and we'll mm-hmm. wrap this up. Mm-hmm. One question is, what do, you, what do you do when you feel like you've, you're plateauing? Because uh, we all plateau on oh, improv. Tons, tons, tons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that sort of we plateau more as we go on. Because there's like, at the beginning, it's like, it's thrilling. It's like, I'm, I'm like, like I said, from the beginning of a class to the end, in three hours, oh my God, I'm better. Right. And then, oh God, right? But I think, I think it's just, you got to, for me, stick with the basics, stick with it, keep at it. Because it's like, because I remember, I vividly remember being in Chicago, being at the I.O. and, and feeling like stuck and watching people around me have these breakthroughs and, because, you know, you, you're, you're putting your sort of practice against other people's highlight reels. So you're like, oh, my God, look at that. Oh, God. And meanwhile, you don't know what, they're, what they go home with. You know what I'm saying? But, like, you have your own internal experience. So I was like, I totally remember that time. But what, what did it for me was to stick with it, to stick with the basics. I, at the time, literally what I did was I would go and sit in on Sharner's Level 1 class. And just observe. Not, not usually play, but just observe and just kind of like just dunk my feet back in the basics and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because as I said, I'm a big believer in the basics. And so that would usually sort of... Do you, do you ever still with Beer Shark Mike come off stage and you go, you know what? I did that. I feel like I'm doing the same scene over again or I feel like I'm plateauing or I feel like I... Sure, sometimes. As I, if, uh, plateauing maybe not as much. I, I think because I, I'm sort of, I probably am plateaued, but it's like I enjoy the level that I'm at and... Uh, I enjoy the level that I'm at, but yeah, sometimes we, when we repeat ourselves or the show maybe isn't as strong as we like, we sort of, you know, we sort of talk it out and you go, okay, that's I really want to do this better. And just going back to the basics usually. But I feel like lately, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to do Messing with a Friend with Susan Messing and I've been doing this one man show, man versus movie. And, and those things have really pushed me and I, I feel like I'm, Oh, discovering and making these new things. I feel like this one-man show, I'm just kind of like on my own with it, but I feel like I'm discovering new things and it's becoming stronger and I'm feeling better about it and, and sort of, oh, okay, this, and then, oh, that's how that makes a better movie. And so, like, I feel like reinvigorated almost and I'm, like, sort of now uh, doing this this new kind of show. Well, Susan, I love playing with her because it's like, basically, I just show up and follow. Totally. If she does that, that uh, crazy character, I'm going to do the same crazy character yeah. and just... You know, yeah, she's like, she's, she's great. So much fun. She's like a, you know, sort of like, it's sort of like playing with beer shark mics, but in a, in, a, in a different way, because it's like, she's just like open to her full power. And so you kind of open up to your full power and then you, and then you do it. It, just, was, it was super fun. And it was like, honestly, one of the, my favorite shows I've ever done in 30 years, because it's just like, it was so different than what I usually do content wise and, and approach wise and stuff. It's great. It's it reminded me like what a joy it is to play with people you don't usually play with and people that you haven't taught or people that just come at it from a different angle. She comes at it. She and I come at it from a very different angles, which is great. And for that show, especially, it was super super fun to do because of that. Yeah, I just I I had the same experience. It's just like it's like forty minutes of just like you're on a the most joyous ride you can possibly Absolutely. have. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so weird because I came off stage and I I really don't feel this way anymore but I came off stage and I was like I was like a dream 
it was like I just everything sort of then sort of came back. I felt like I, I felt myself coming back down to earth because it was just open in this in this totally different way. We wrap up each show the same way. What piece of advice would you give an improviser starting out today? Mm. Um, uh, I'll say one improv thing and then one practical thing. Okay. Uh, improv ways, I mean, sort of like... Uh, they they, in, they in, really in, aren't different, you know. <laughs> industry things. Right, right. Um, I think sort of like, I'll say the industry things. Okay. I'll, I'll end on I.O. And when we mean industry, we're talking about... The, the entertainment industry. Yes. Is it, I think that sort of, uh, what, what I tell students, like when I see guys from my, my college improv group who are now like, hey, we're graduating, we're thinking of coming out to L.A., what, what should we do? I always say, start a YouTube channel. Start a YouTube channel, make product. You can do it. It's so easy to do now. You know what I'm saying? So I think improvisers, the same thing. Like, put yourself out there. Like, like make something. You know what I'm saying? It's so easy to have products and artifacts and these things you can show. Look, here's my work, right? We as improvisers really get drawn into this, the ephemeral sort of, like, nature of our thing. You know what I'm saying? Which is great, but it's, like, hard to tell, like, an agent or a manager, like, yeah, I do improv and I'm really good. Come and take a chance and skip whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, but in terms of like improv, what do I, beginners, I think, uh, I think, gosh, I would say to them, focus on the basics. Really get good at the basics. Everything comes from that. Honestly, everything, everything comes from that. Just like in fighting, you start with how you stand, how you hold your feet, how you hold your hands. Because if you stand right and you hold your hands right and you use your hips right, then you can generate speed and power and whatever. And I think the same thing for improvising. If you are following the basics, getting good at listening to your partner, taking care of your partner, like that kind of thing, everything else will follow from that. I think people want to make, and I'm not saying this in a disparaging way because I totally have been this guy, people want to make these big leaps. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I want to be like that guy. I want to do this crazy thing, whatever. But that guy that's doing this crazy thing you love so much is underpinning it with years and years of technique and years and years of basics. And that's why when he does it, it makes sense. And when you do it, it just seems crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think it's just got to come, just really follow the basics and, and uh, uh, from the Herald guidelines that I always give out to my students, follow the process and the product will come. Paul Valencourt, thank you so much for being our guest on Improv Nerd. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute delight. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank my guest, Paul Valencourt, and check out his book, The Triangle of the Scene. It's a wonderful book. It's a very easy read, and he's got embedded videos in it. The Triangle of the Scene. Write it down right now. I love that we got to do a little improvising in there. That was kind of fun. Um, also, I want to thank um, my producer here in Chicago, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes it sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, The Artist Low Comedy, or my improv nerd blog, uh, go to my website, my slick new website, jimmycorain.com, and sign up for the newsletter. Also, as you know, we are on social media. We are taking over social media. Go to the improv nerds fan page and like us because it really helps with my low self-esteem and then follow us at improv underscore nerd twitter and then go to our youtube channel please it's wonderful dan schiffmacher does such a great job and it's just improv nerd podcast uh we are also part of a podcast collective it's called feral audio we love feral audio so check out feralaudio.com and all the hilarious and innovative uh podcasts uh, on feralaudio.com 
Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, the Idaho Laugh Fest, Hotel Lincoln, and I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk or don't run. He's a nerd, he's a nerd. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck.